Church family, I am so excited to be with you this morning. Um, Emily and I were talking about it yesterday. We're, we're rapidly approaching being here 10 months, and it's been a really weird 10 months. And uh, not just for us, but, but for y'all as well. Um, but I'm grateful for the First Irving Church because it truly has become family for us. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to preach this morning. What is confidence? What do you have confidence in? I know this year has taught us a lot about confidence, about security, more importantly, lack thereof. As I was studying this week, I went to the handy-dandy Merriam-Webster dictionary and looked up what the definition of confidence is. And this is what confidence is. Confidence is the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something. Confidence is the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something. As I was thinking about that definition, I was reminded of a customer that I used to help at the bank back in Louisiana. Now, this customer was very, very interesting uh, this customer would come in every Friday morning with their paycheck. And rather than coming in and coming to the teller window, they would take a left and go to the bank manager's office every Friday. Why would they do this? Well, this customer had a history of overdrawn accounts, bounced checks, loan defaults, and everything in between. And so they knew that if they approached the teller window, they had no idea if we were going to be able to cash that check. But what they did know... So if they could get that bank manager's signature on that check, we would do anything. So that customer would come in, like clockwork, every Friday morning, 9 o'clock, walk straight to our bank manager's office, get the signature, and walk up to our window with confidence, knowing that we as tellers could do nothing to stop them from getting their money. You see, their confidence didn't lie in their bank account. Their confidence lied in the authority of the bank manager because they knew that the bank manager's signature meant everything. In this year, in this life, wouldn't it be great to have that signature of the bank manager in all areas of our life? But if this year has taught us anything, it's taught us that confidence is fleeting. We take for granted our health. 2020 has taught us that our health will fail. We take confidence and security in our job status and if anything this year has taught us that our job status is never guaranteed beyond tomorrow our family situations many of us have lost loved ones this year we never have the confidence that we'll be able to see somebody tomorrow and if this year has taught us anything it means that we have no hope in any political system and so my question to you Christian to you, brother or sister, this morning? Is there any hope for us? Is there anything that we can place our confidence in? And I'm here to tell you with an emphatic, yes, there is. Brothers and sisters, our confidence as followers of Jesus rests in the authority of Jesus. Let me say that again. Our confidence as followers of Jesus rests in the authority of Jesus. And we're going to see that clear 
in the text this morning. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. As you know, we've been preaching through the book of Matthew. We're going to be in the book of Matthew for a year and a half. And I know that sounds like a lot, but there's a lot there. There's 28 wonderful chapters in the book of Matthew, and I'm so excited to see how our church is going to look once we finish this wonderful book. Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27, a story that is very familiar to a lot of us, if not all of us this morning, the the calming of the storm by Jesus. So, verse 23, Matthew chapter 8. And when he, Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And Jesus said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then Jesus rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and the sea obey him? Say, wonderful passage this morning that I'm so excited for us to be able to dive in together. But let's, let's catch us up to speed, right? Because some of you might not be aware of where we're at. So Matthew chapter 8 verses 23 through 27 is immediately following what Pastor Kurt preached on last week. This great cost of following Jesus, this great cost of discipleship. Well, what's been happening? Well, Jesus and his disciples have been on the Mount of Beatitudes where Jesus has just delivered the greatest sermon known to man, the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. So Jesus and disciples are coming down the Mount of Beatitudes and they encounter a leper. And Jesus expresses and displays his authority over sickness by healing the leper. And after he heals the leper, he comes into Capernaum, where this great Roman centurion comes out to meet Jesus and his disciples and pleads for his servant's life. And we see Jesus' display over disease again, not by touch, but by the power of his word. And as they are sitting in Capernaum, Peter's mother-in-law falls ill, so Jesus heals her as well, as we see account after account after account, miraculous healing by Jesus And then by this time, the crowds have surrounded Jesus, and Jesus is like, hey, listen, it's time to go. We need to to go across the Sea of Galilee. And so he asked the disciples to get a boat for them. And it's here, as Jesus is waiting on the boat, where we have the account of Jesus' interaction between a scribe and another one of his disciples. But here, this morning, verse 23, the boat arrives. And I don't want us to be uh, mistaken and thinking that Jesus and his disciples get in some yacht or some uh, massive boat. No, these, these fishing boats that uh, these disciples were probably able to get, very small. They're only about 30 feet long, about eight and a half feet wide, four and a half feet deep, and 13 people get into this boat. So they are, they're, they're very tight together. <laughs> they get in this boat, and then they get on the Sea of Galilee. Just to give you a little bit of background on the Sea of Galilee... Uh, The sea is about 700 feet below sea level, 700 feet below sea level. Uh, Why is this an issue? Well, to the west of the Sea of Galilee, you have a a hill range that's about 1,500 feet above sea level. To the east, you have mountains that are about 3,000 feet above sea level. To the north, you have the snow-covered mountains of Mount uh, Mount Lebanon. 
And so what this creates is this creates a very interesting storm system that comes up from time to time. These storms that pop up on the Sea of Galilee because of the difference in the elevation are sudden, they're destructive, and they're great disasters that carry these fierce winds, these intense rains, and these fishermen knew about these storms. And so imagine now, you're a disciple, you're in the boat with Jesus, and one of these storms come up. Well, seven of the 12 fishermen, or seven of the 12 disciples are fishermen, remember? So they're used to these storms. So they start trying everything that they know to try. Start dumping out water, trying to adjust the sail, trying to do everything that they can. And finally, they get to the point in verse 25 where they're like, okay, we're out. Let's go to this carpenter guy, right? That makes no sense, right? Seven fishermen coming up to this carpenter. They say, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And Jesus wakes up and he rebukes them before rebuking the storm. And after rebuking them, as he's rebuking the storm, I love the language that the Gospel of Luke uses. It's almost this muzzling of the storm, this display of authority that Jesus exerts over creation. It's the, like the muzzling of an animal. Jesus speaks and muzzles the storm. I love what the New American Standard Version says. It says, Jesus speaks and there was perfectly calm waters. Perfectly calm. There was no fade out. Jesus exerts his authority to show that he was the one that calmed the storm. It was perfectly still. And this causes the disciples who are with him to say, who is this man? And they know that this is no mere man that they are with so this morning, we're going to look at the text and we're going to observe four things from this passage today, four things that this passage tells us about what it means to follow Jesus, four observations about what discipleship looks like. The first point is this, number one, as followers of Jesus, we will experience trials in this life. As followers of Jesus, we are not immune from the trials in this life. No, we will experience great trials in this life. If you look at verse 23, it's clear that Matthew is intentional with his wording. In verse 23, it says that, And when Jesus got into, his bo- into the boat, his disciples followed him. Why would Matthew use this wording in this way? Well, some biblical scholars think that Matthew's use of this, this phrase, this wording, is a display of what following Jesus looks like. Remember, because in verses 18 through 22, Jesus just talked about this great cost of following him. And then Jesus gets in the boat, and what happens? The disciples follow him. And so 23 through 27 is a brief glimpse into the life of following Jesus We also know that Jesus has been pretty upfront about the cost of following him. It's not going to be easy. Remember back to Matthew chapter 7, verse 14, when Jesus was talking about the two gates. He says in verse 14, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And then what Pastor Kurt preached on last week Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, okay, come on in. 
No, that's not what he says. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Later on in Matthew and in Luke, Jesus will say, if anyone would want to come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. One of the things you have to give up to Jesus is the fact that he was very clear about what the expectations are to following him. You know, as I, I was thinking about this, reminded about whenever I, you download an app on your phone or install in a program on your computer, right, you get to the screen where it has all these legal terms and conditions and then it has this little box, right? It says, I have read and agreed to all the terms and conditions above. And I saw on social media one time that that is the number one lie Americans commit every day because nobody read the terms and conditions, because who has time to read all of that? The disciples hadn't paid attention to the terms or the conditions that Jesus had clearly established, that he had been very upfront with. No, following Jesus is difficult. Following Jesus is a call to die, and the disciples were getting a firsthand experience of this. That's all throughout the Bible, this is not new to just the disciples. This happens with Abraham, this happens with Moses, this happens with the nation of Israel, with David, and the disciples just are just next in line. And if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, I'm not telling you anything new either. You've been there. You've been in the doctor's room whenever they have given you the cancer diagnosis. You've been there when your family member calls to let you know that your loved one has passed away. You've been there when your boss comes in to say, hey, you need to pack your things up. You no longer have a job. You've been there because following Jesus is difficult. Because we as followers of Jesus experience trials in this life. We should not be surprised, but there's also very good news for followers of Jesus. And that leads us to the second observation of this text. text. Yes, as followers of Jesus, we will experience trials in this life, but Jesus has authority over our trials. Jesus has authority over our trials. We see Jesus clearly demonstrate this three different ways in this text. One that's clear and two that maybe aren't so clear to the, to the first reading of the text. Number one, Jesus demonstrates his authority by sleeping. Never thought I would say that. But Jesus demonstrates his authority by sleeping. Think about what Jesus had just done. He preached the greatest sermon known to man. He healed a leper. He healed the centurion's servant. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He had to deal with some difficult people Jesus is exhausted. Remember, Jesus is 100% man, and we see a clear display of this right here. He was asleep because he was tired. But that leads to the question, well, didn't Jesus know a storm was coming? Why would he sleep? Oh, Jesus knew that a storm was coming, but he also knew that he had authority over that storm, and he could sleep like a baby. So Jesus demonstrates his authority by sleeping. Number two, Jesus demonstrates his authority by rebuking before he rebukes, okay? Jesus demonstrates his authority by rebuking 
before he rebukes, right? So the disciples come to him. They say, help, Lord. We are perishing. There's nothing else that we can do. And Jesus says, i got to teach you another lesson. Got to teach you another lesson. Right, and if I'm the disciples, I'm thinking, hey, can we, can we talk about this lesson later? Um, the, the waves are crashing into the boat. We are sinking. We are dying. Can we just talk about this lesson later? Can you just do what you're going to do? Calm the storm, right? I'm, I'm reminded of those of us that have had children in this room with toddlers, right? Toddlers love to climb. They love to get on things. They like to do dangerous, destructive things to themselves. And we never, ever say, come up beside them or like, hey, you, you shouldn't be doing that because if you do this, then this is going to happen, and if this happens, no, we jump in and we save them immediately. Why? Because we don't know what's going to happen next. We don't know if the entertainment center is going to follow them. We don't know if they're going to jump off and hit their head. We don't know what's going to happen, but Jesus does. Jesus knows what's going to happen, and in that moment, rebuking them, teaching them that lesson before calming the storm, he demonstrates his authority. And lastly, the most obvious Jesus demonstrates his authority by speaking, and the storm ceases. Matthew is is clearly driving home a point here in these couple of chapters that Jesus has authority. Jesus has authority over the law. We see that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 29. And when the people are astonished, they marvel at his teaching because he's teaching as one who has authority. We see Jesus has authority over disease as he cleanses the leper, he heals the servant, and he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And we see that Jesus has authority over the natural world. Jesus has authority. You see, this authority that Jesus demonstrates that he displays is matchless. It's far greater than any bank manager's authority on a signature on a check. No, Jesus' authority means that he created all things, he sustains all things, he has power over all things, and he divinely directs all things. And that leads Matthew to write in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We will experience trials in this life, brothers and sisters, but Jesus has authority over our trials. And the same authority that belongs to God, the Father belongs to God the Son belongs to Jesus. You see, the men marveled in verse 27 because who was spoken of in the Old Testament as the only one being able to control the seas? Yahweh, the Lord God. Psalm chapter 18, verse 9. You, Yahweh, rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Psalm 107, verse 29. Yahweh made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. They were looking at this man who was with them and they were fully realizing that this was Emmanuel, God with them. This observation from the text this morning should give us great hope, it should give us great comfort, it should give us great confidence because not only is Jesus demonstrating his authority over our trials here, but observation number three, Jesus will be with us during our trials. Yes, we will experience trials. Yes, Jesus has authority over our trials, but Jesus stands with us in our trials. I love the saying 
and I'm sure you've heard it as well, you're either going into a storm, you're going through a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Uh, you just have to live like a day, and you know that that is very, very true. The trials will come. Jesus promises us that, but Jesus also promises that he has the fullness of authority and that he promises to be with us in these trials. Yes, trials will come. They will be difficult, but the one who exercises authority is with us and he sustains us. One of the ways that this text is often preached incorrectly is that when we pray hard enough, when we ask the right way, then Jesus will calm the storm in our life. Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to buy into that lie. I want you to buy into the more glorious truth, the more glorious grace that we experience that when the storm comes, the one with authority is with us. He's with us. That's a far better promise in my book. It's a far better promise that we as followers of Jesus have. Our confidence is in that, in the authority of Jesus. You see, we've, we've been talking about this book of Matthew and how it's this God's kingdom coming. And Jared loves to say and talk about the blessings that we have in the kingdom of God. And they are innumerable. They're innumerable. But one of the greatest blessings is that God is with us. He's with us. And one day we will be with him in all of eternity. See, our confidence as followers of Jesus rests in the authority of Jesus and that he promises to be with us. As the hymnist says, when all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. What a promise that is. Now we see that, yes, we will have trials in this life. Yes, Jesus has authority. And yes, Jesus is with us in these trials. But let's spend some time talking about these trials specifically. Observation number four. Our trials are for our spiritual good. Why doesn't Jesus just calm the storm? Why doesn't he just pluck us out and put us on the shore? Why does Jesus allow us to go through these trials, these great storms? Because they're for our good. They're for his glory, but they're also for our good. Think about what James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 says. James says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Jesus wants and desires our spiritual good. And sometimes he uses trials to get there. Our trials strengthen our confidence by forcing us to trust Jesus and his authority. Our trials strengthen our confidence by stripping everything away and forcing us to trust in Jesus and his authority. 
you might be asking, well, Corey, where do you see that in the text? Well, we've got the whole Bible, so let's do some biblical theology here. Who is Jesus in the boat with? His disciples, right? These disciples, right, that Jesus said, oh, you have little faith with? Yeah, well, a lot of stuff's going to happen from this moment um, in the coming years. These men are going to come from, why are you afraid, O ye of little faith, into Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul says that these men, these apostles, are the very foundation on which the church will be built. How in the world do we get there? Well, it's through the refining of the Holy Spirit through trials that these men had to walk through, the persecution that they had to walk through. You see, Peter, John, Matthew, and the others went from faithless to faithful. They went from doubtful to doubtless because they were able to recognize what these trials were, whose these trials were, and who was with them in these trials. I don't want you to think that your struggles are meaningless. I don't want you to think that the sickness that you're going through right now is meaningless. I don't want you to think that if you're on month nine of unemployment, the struggle that you're going through is meaningless. God is working all things together for your good, for your spiritual good. Yes, we will experience trials. Jesus has authority over those trials. Not only does he have authority over those trials, but he promises to be with us in those trials. And he promises that those trials are for our good. We just need to be like the father in Mark 9 that says, I have faith, but I need your help to believe. I need your help to believe that this is for my good. So how should we respond this morning? How should we respond? I know that this is a familiar text and maybe you haven't considered some of the things that we have talked about this morning. But I don't wanna be naive enough to think that there's some of you in this room who need to do the first thing, and that's, that's this. You need to get in the boat. I know, that sounds cheesy. That sounds very surface level. But some of you have been coming to church for most of your lifetime, and you've never committed to follow Jesus. You're experiencing trials, you're experiencing difficulty, and you're thinking that just being in the crowd is good enough. Verse 23 makes it abundantly clear. The crowd didn't get in the boat. The Pharisees didn't get in the boat. The scribes didn't get in the boat. The disciples got in the boat. And they could have confidence because they were with the one who has authority. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have that confidence. Maybe you're watching from home and you don't have that confidence. Maybe everything around you is falling apart. 
and it's God teaching you that you haven't gotten in the boat? Well, it's very, very simple. It's matchless, marvelous, and infinite grace that God has bestowed to you to reach out to get you in the boat. Listen to what Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says. This is Paul writing, talking about this great salvation that we have and all that we need to do for this salvation. This is what Paul says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Maybe everything in the year 2020 has been a complete and utter loss for you, but you will gain everything this morning if you confess that Jesus is Lord, repent, and get in the boat. And things look different because of COVID, so we can't stand down here and have you come front, but I am begging you, if the Spirit of God is convicting your heart this morning and is drawing you to himself, then come find me. Come find one of our pastors so that you can have this confidence that when all else is taken from us, Jesus is all we need because of his authority and his presence with us in these trials. Well, maybe, maybe you got in the boat, but you forgot that Jesus is with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you truly have responded in faith and are following him, but it's easy for you to forget that the God of your salvation is also the God who sustains you. And you're worrying, you're anxious, you're fearful, you don't know how you're going to get through. You just need to remember that Jesus is with you. Let that sink in. The one who created all things, the one who sustains all things, the one who has power over all things, and the one that divinely, the reason whatever's happening to you is because of Jesus. Remember him. He is with you. Maybe that's what you need to do this morning. Maybe in our, our song of response this morning, you just need to, to sit and you need to reflect on the promises of the Lord and remember that he is with you. And you need to take time to, to praise him for that this morning, to praise him for his authority, for his presence, and for his kindness. And lastly, maybe, maybe you just need to adjust your mindset. You know, I think often the first question we ask when trials come is, why is this happening? Why am I sick? Why am I struggling finding a job? Why are our kids so defiant? Why is it so difficult to get along with this person? We need to ask a different question. How is God using this for my spiritual good?
how is the Lord using this for my spiritual good and for his glory? It changes everything. It changes everything. Because we can place our faith knowing that the one who has authority and is with us will help us get through this. And we will be better spiritually because of it. I love this quote by David Platt. Many of you know who David Platt is, former IMB president. He's a pastor and author and speaker now. When talking about this passage, he says this, and it'll be on the screen. Faith is not confidence that trials will not come your way. Faith is confidence that no matter what wind and waves come your way in this world, the God of the universe will be right there in the boat with you. His power and his presence will see you through. Brothers and sisters, trials will come, but our confidence as followers of Jesus rests in the authority of Jesus and the fact that he is with you and he is using that trial for your good. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful We're grateful for the trials. Lord, as, as hard it is, as it is to say that sometimes, Lord, we know that they are meant for our good and for your glory. So God, we confess that we need your help. God, we need you to be with us. We need you to help us remember that you have all authority. and that you've been with us the whole time. God, I pray for those that are not in Christ this morning. God, I pray for those who are not in the boat, Father, that have not followed your son, Jesus. God, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you will call them this morning. God, you will bring them to yourself. God, that they will confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord, and that they will repent, Father, and that we can add another brother or sister to the body this morning. Lord, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Why don't you go ahead and stand this morning as we respond in song. Don't forget that Jesus has authority. Not only does he have authority, but he is with you and he is over your trials. Love you, church family. Let's sing.